All right. So, Mert, I just got back from my uh, my devastating hospital visit because I played Jack 2, and that shit was so good. It was so good. What? My brain exploded, no. and it leaked out of the don't, ears. Don't you introduce retcons into... <laughs> Don't you do, like, season finale, the facility explodes, cut to next season, episode one, season four, and be like, oh, but they were all fine. It was a dream scenario. Let's not spoil the Dreamcast season eight, all right? Let's not spoil that, all right? All I'm going to say is it's time for a vacation. And it's January, and I'm feeling tropical in January. I don't know about you. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, you know, I'm I'm more of a I'm a more of a mountains guy, you know. Ultimately, in my aesthetic. Well, you chose the wrong episode for this one. Welcome, everybody. This is the Daydreamcast. I am Bro, and I am Murph. Okay, all right. And first, we're just gonna we're just gonna get started with the new season hot with me playing Gundam. Now, um, I missed out on the uh, Vagrant Story episode. Uh, that was a good game. I did end up playing it. Um. But that being said, Brendan of the episode played uh, Gundam for the PS5, and uh, I picked it up too. It's like the Overwatch shooter. I think it's like Gundam Legacy. I don't yeah. remember these names. I didn't study for this. This is don't test me, Murph. We're so professional in our season premiere. <laughs> it's Gundam Evolution. That's Gundam it. Gundam Evolution. I prefer Gundam Creationism. Oh yeah. Well, um, I I don't know about you, but I didn't come from a giant robot. I didn't evolve from that. Well, how are there still, you know, if we evolved from monkey Gundams, why are there still monkey Gundams? I think monkey Gundams are just really, really cool. I they think are. I think it's one of those cousin family tree things. Anyways, I don't actually know about Gundam. I don't watch a lot of anime, and Gundam is like one of my huge blind spots. But I do like giant robots. Hey, man, I like Pacific Rim. You know, I like Neon Genesis Evangelion. I've seen enough, man. And I got to say, in terms of the actual gameplay, I like it a lot, too, because I dropped Overwatch 2 and I've still dabbled in this. And uh, you wanted like just a general overview. I would recommend the season finale where Brendan talked about it. But it is like a an Overwatch hero uh, shooter arena thing with giant robots. Um, I think the things that are particularly notable about it are... Um, the giant robots that feel um, specifically tailored to this kind of game, notably in terms of how the laser rifles and abilities go and the shields and all of that. And I also think he didn't he didn't really articulate what because one of my things I hate about Overwatch is how objectives are in Overwatch. I think Overwatch completely fucks up how to do objectives, especially Overwatch 2. I don't know if you played it, but like there's like a tug of war one that's really bad. Anyways, um, I don't like that stuff. I like stuff like uh, King of the Hill, Search and Destroy. Um, there's like there's like a lot of ones where you're trying to detonate a bomb or uh, defuse a bomb. So there's a lot of like Counter-Strike influences you know what i mean so like it's not necessarily on the same scale as like a valorant valorant is definitely like 80 percent counter-strike 20 percent overwatch this one is like some weird like 
combination of things. But even then, I just love how it did objectives. I love its style. It's great. Okay. So as a mecha game, does it feel like like you're playing in a big mech? Because when I was at PAX, there was this game I played called like Excalibur 2099 or something. Ooh, that's a good name. And it just didn't feel... Like I was in a big robot. It just felt like that was flavoring. And then these were very like normal sized maps. Like, are you fighting in cities and things or? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's cities and the cities are like semi Godzilla shaped. Like you're like eye level with buildings and stuff. Okay. Um, that'd, that'd but, be true to the source. But, but, but it's not like full on cities. Like a lot of it is like deserts or like mechs like things you know giant like stations or whatever um the the real question you're asking is do i feel like when you play it do you feel like it and if the answer lies somewhere in the middle i think moving has issues in terms of running and scope and size when you're just like shooting enemies and you see uh your teammates at eye level the scale doesn't necessarily feel like giant robots but what does feel like robots is the jetpack that sort of movement and then those additional abilities i talked about where um certain classes there's like a class that feels like a gunner tank where you're basically got giant machine guns and you're rolling around and you've got like auto aim so that's super useful and that shit works and you've got like shield units with different laser rifles so the combat aspects do make you feel like you're a walking tank but it's not necessarily the walking tank part does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. I, I'm still very interested in getting into this because, like I said in the Vagrant Story episode, I'm interested in filling an over sh- Overwatch-shaped hole in my life. Does it feel like this game still has, like, or will have legs for the foreseeable future? I don't necessarily know about it being necessarily, like, a lifestyle game that I'll be playing a year from now. If you're asking if I'm going to be playing this game a year from now, I I would probably have to watch Gundam to care. <laughs> yeah, does it feel like it's like there's an active enough community like every time you're hopping on? I don't have an issue getting into matches. The biggest issue is what Brendan cited in the last episode, which is when people leave, it sort of becomes a shit show. So as long as nobody leaves, everything's fine. But Okay, yeah. okay. Well, and that's also like Counter-Strike or like Rainbow Six Siege, where if someone leaves, the game just shits the bed. Specifically Rainbow Six Siege, where you're just like, well, fuck. Well, I also played a game about people leaving and mechs and outer space uh, of a, of very different flavors. Uh, so I played XO1. Um, this game is probably going to make my top five end of the year. Um, Damn. What this is, it's so hard to describe because the gameplay is very simple, but it's like the the package experience. So what it is, is you play as this alien probe that is exploring different uninhabited planets. And you are this like little ball with like like a dynamo energy source. You're indestructible, you roll around, and you have two functions. You can increase your gravity, and you can toggle into a glide mode. So you're like rolling down hills, you increase your gravity, and then as you go off a slope, you let go of that button and you like launch into the air. And then you can like plummet back down again, or you can go into that glide and sort of like do some swooping and gain some distance. And you're always building towards this like monolith in the distance for each planet that will launch you to the next planet. And just the whole immersive experience, the sound design 
is so good. Like, you hear, like, the pebbles being kicked by as you roll along. There's one episode that's, like, in a, a thunderstorm, and the thunder's coming down. But if you build up enough speed and height, you can actually launch yourself above the cloud line of that thunderstorm, where it's just, like, blue skies and clear, and eventually you plummet back down. It's all seamless, and you're back in that storm. And that's so cool. Like, this game does so many, it had just, like, so many different interesting renditions on this gameplay. And all of it just, like, had me genuinely jaw-dropped at how, like, immersed and cool it was feeling. Um, I'm interested in multiple ways. I got multiple questions here. Because mm -hmm. uh, I have not seen this game, and I'm looking at it now. And it looks good. How much of it would you say is the audio-visual experience? And how much of it is within the game's design in terms of, like mechanics and movement i'm guessing it's mostly audio visual right the audio visual is what really got me um because like like for instance there's one one of the very early levels is you land on this water planet and there's like meteorites raining down that generate waves you can like skip off of mm -hmm. but um you're just like in the middle of this ocean beelining it for this monolith this is where it, where it sort of teaches you how to move in water but there is the idea that if you just hold down that, like, generate gravity button, you can just sink into the water as deep as the game will let you. But I didn't want to because the moment I got down to, like, where the blue in the water was being replaced by inky darkness, I was like, this is too scary. This is too real. I need to get out. I need to surface. I need to surface. Oh, wow. So you were, like, immersed. Like, that is a yeah. case of, like, real immersion. Yeah, and I Dang. don't know if there's, like, at a point the game is just like, oh, we lost connection with the probe, game over, or something like that. Or if you can, like, eventually reach some sort of sea floor. The bottom. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, because um, there's not any other... You can't take damage. There's As far as I came across, there's not really a fail state at any point. And that's, like, so part of it. And the movement is really good. Like, just rolling around, building up, like, all this speed, launching off, like, hills. Um it's great. It's it's really fantastic. So this sounds like, okay, I'm going to be weird real quick. I love Mass Effect 1. Mm -hmm. This sounds like going around on the planets in the, like, the rover type thing, but fun. Yes, there is. I can definitely, in, in the, um, not the Landmaster, the Mako. Um, yes. Going around in that. Imagine if, like, someone just took those maps and then, like, prettied them up a bit, and then just dropped, like, like, Sonic in it. And you're playing as Sonic on those maps. Okay. Um, how long, like, g give me an idea of, like, how the game functions in terms of runtime. In terms of runtime, the game actually encourages you to speed run it. All the achievements are, like, beat it in this time frame, beat it in this time frame. Um, okay. I beat it in two sittings. Let me check my playtime here. Uh, it was not a long game. I beat it in 2.3 hours. Okay, um, all and right. There is a story to it. It's very 2001 inspired, where it's sort Ooh. of about, like, you may be the, a ghost of an astronaut that, like, died on Jupiter, possessing this, like, probe, and you're searching for your missing comrades and things. Um, and that's, like, told in this sort of sci-fi horror uh, way, where, like, when people speak, it's played backwards and all garbled and stuff. 
Um, but you can really kind of ignore that. It's really just part of the immersive experience. Well, no matter what, we all know that I love uh, alien probing. So I'm super about this. You're all about probing Uranus. That sh- you said it, not me, man. <laughs> um, I don't speaking, know how to transition from the Uranus. Of anuses, <laughs> tell oh me about gosh. tell me about Dat Crash. Um, Crash Four. It's about time. I don't know if I've talked about this before because I played this kind of before. I played like two hours of this uh, years ago when it came out. Um, the Toys for Bob designed or developed uh, Crash Four is. Uh, sort of like a reckoning or like a revival of the old school crash platforming formulas that they sort of gave up with after a certain, after like basically Wrath of Cortex. I like Twin Sanity, but like there, it's a different game. And then anything after that is completely different in terms of uh, design and tone, et cetera, et cetera. So here I really enjoyed, I think, I think the thing I learned, I meditated on what Crash Bandicoot means. And I think Crash Bandicoot is possibly the most 3D platformer and fundamentally bad, but fundamentally fun. Does this make sense? Define what we mean by the most 3D platformer. Um, I think it's because of the dimension of going forward and going backwards. Specifically, okay. it's that railness, but the railness isn't literal. Like, it's not like a, a free run or anything. It yeah. is literally just like that maneuverability in that space. So, I think, mm. I guess what I really mean is, it is the most punishing game if you don't understand 3D jumping. And we will, for sure, this is a thing to set up for later in the episode. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ways developers tiptoe around the inaccuracy and inefficiency of 3D jumping. Um, this game does a really good job with, obviously, like, showing something below Crash, etc., etc., um, it just still has that, there's like a difficult edge to it that I still really, really enjoy. And I think it's just a certain kind of flavor that is just fundamentally good for me. Um, okay. And uh, the other thing is, is like the story is fun. It's cute. And I like, I like the different art design. I think the art design goes above and beyond in the Saturday morning cartoon aspect. So does it feel like crash has not left and we're we're it's much like shredder's revenge it's just like oh here's the the missing crash four the one we've been waiting on does it feel that way it doesn't feel like a game that came out in 2000 it definitely feels like a 2010s or 2020 i think it came out in 2020 2020 title uh it feels modern but it does like it is fundamentally a game like crash one through three it would feel it would feel like if someone made a crash four in 2020 which they did you know what i mean yeah yeah i i I can get that i can definitely get that how do you feel about like the additional characters because i think some of the crash purists were upset that it's like why are you playing as dingo dial of all characters who who cares? <laughs> These people are losers. These people Tana is a fine character. I actually like Tana in this. I think Tana is a very tacky bad character in the in her original appearance. Mm-hmm. Um and it's probably like Naughty Dog back in the day was just a one of those they were developers. Horny. 
Yeah, let's just say. (laughs) Um, But that being said, I think Tana now um, has become her own thing. I think people may like roll their eyes at like the edgy haircut and the, you know, strong female. But to me, it works. I think Coco works. And for Dingo Dial... Dingo Dial is just fun, man. I like playing as bad guys. I think playing as bad guys is are fun, and I think Dingo Dial is interesting. He's more interesting than a tiny. If you played as tiny, it'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who cares? So you really feel like it, uh, like it's like Crash never said adios. Murph, you played adios. Tell me about it. Adios is a very short game. It can be beaten in less than 90 minutes it is a i don't really know what we call this genre it's a i guess i'll just call it a firewatch alike a emotional narrative first person game oh um, don't think I, I i have used the term walking simulator before is it like that or is it different it's more it's less about the walking and more about doing things which is what the the, the differentiation i make okay um, that's fair sure so the premise is, it's set in the 90s, you are an elderly pig farmer who disposes of bodies for the mafia. And it's the morning, and your your contact in the mob comes by with the drop-off, and you tell him that you don't want to do this anymore. And the mafia guy is like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. Here, let me let me help you out with some chores around the farm. And it's just the two of them doing chores around the farm, having having this conversation and, you know, it becomes clear that these two guys have been doing this a, a long time, and they've built up, like, an odd sort of friendship, but also that you, the farmer, are not backing down, and both of you know what that means in terms of the mob's answer. And there's a point where you finish your chores, and the mafia guy goes off, and he says, he'll be back tonight, and you just have to kill time until then. And you can feed your horse, you can go fishing, you can call your estranged son, but uh, it's not like there's a multiple endings to this. Um, and I think the story and the voice acting especially are very good for this type of game. The issue is, is that the game play itself is very subpar the like the damn the visuals look half finished and i don't that feels so mean to say but it's true like when you look at the character models of like the mafia guy the primary guy you interact with it's like there's very little expression to go along with like how much the voice actor is giving his all you know yeah there's a point where you play horseshoes with him and there's like not even like a game to it. It's literally like if you were trying to play horseshoes in the source engine, you're just picking things up and throwing them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at pictures. I, I see what you mean by this. Like it, it I, I had this problem with nightmare of decay where it's like the, the production value is cheap and it's clear that that wasn't like they weren't number one. <sighs> It, it feels bad to tear him down like that because that's not, you know... It's not the focus, but it's it's distracting. It, it's distracting, especially when there's, like, these this, like, really emotional moment uh, towards the end where, like, the mafia guy, like, hugs you and, like, the character model's face is not conveying any emotion. 
And it's so, it takes you out of the experience. And genuinely, I think this would have served better done as like a visual novel or as like a point and click if you still want a, a few bits of gameplay in it. Um, yeah. Like if I was an eccentric multimillionaire, I would contact this company and be like, here's some money, make it look good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so if everything I'm saying sounds appealing especially that story it's a really it's a sad story like i i teared up a bit um but i got it like seven dollars on the sale i think it's i think it's worth that um you can pay more if like this is your type of like gameplay and story uh that's the long and short of it damn speaking of the long and short of it <laughs> oh yeah I played Cyberpunk 2077. Um, I, I, in case, in case this hasn't been made clear, I, I now have a PS5. I had, I had to do some animal sacrifice. I had to like pray to some deep, deep dark gods and devils for a PS5, but I got one. It happened. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. You've got your, you've got your Seto Kaiba looking machine. Yes, the fucking. My internet router just uh, grew three sizes that day. Pop collar, white clamshell. <laughs> um, and so tell me, because tell of me this, about Keanu Simulator. I I can run Cyberpunk now. Uh, my Cyberpunk could not run on this machine, um, and I wanted something that looked good and performed okay. And the you know what got me into the the like I'm gonna buy Cyberpunk was when when everyone started complaining about Pokemon. When everyone started complaining <laughs> about Pokemon. And then there are some people who are like, I don't know, I like it. I'm like, this is my window. This is the window in which I can point at everybody else and say, they played a half-finished game. I can play a half-finished game too. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And... And this game came out two years like or like this game came out years ago. So there's been a lot of quality of life updates. I haven't. I'm gonna Has be it really honest. Been years. I, I don't know how many years, dog. Probably like one, two. Oh my god. Time is yeah. It's been so a fast. long. Oh yes, yeah, it's, it's brutal. But what what I mean is is uh. This came out end of 2020. Okay, that's not as bad. <laughs> well, I uh, forgot what I was playing saying. a half finished game. And oh, the game's oh, the game has had the game has had time to develop. And I was gonna be honest, um, I have seen more bugs in a fucking Bethesda game, um, like Skyrim, Fallout's, all of them, even New Vegas. And I love Fallout New Vegas. That game ain't you know, and I you know, it's one of those things where it's like the bugs are like not. Not a real problem. I can overlook them, especially now after so long after launch. Um, the actual gameplay is not super innovative. It's an open world GTA esque first person with a lot with a little bit of RPG combat mixed in with a cyberpunk future. It's based on the cyberpunk tabletop game. I don't know if you've ever played that, but it's a good setting. It's a it, that's a really good world. Yeah. Um, and the performances in it and the story is particularly interesting. I think the quests are something to praise, um, not necessarily in terms of freedom, but more so in terms of, um, direction 
and just that sort of vibe. Um, I think the game is not about freedom, um, but the game is about the small little like cool quests or stories you see along the way. It's like any other science fiction world where it's like a single story makes or breaks the world. And there's multiple that break and there's multiple that make. Okay. Okay. So how's Keanu? Keanu plays. I don't know how much you know about Keanu's role in this. He is Johnny Silverhand. Yes. Is uh, radical guitarist rock star. And if he wants, and if he wants to take your body and fuck it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You'll do it, man. Um. The okay. So the story is is that your character V is a mercenary with different backgrounds, depending on player choice or whatever, who got into like a heist gone bad, um, loses their friend, but also gets um, a sort of data memory construct of Johnny Silverhand. Johnny Silverhand is a character from the tabletop RPG that was existed, you know, 50 years before 2077. He died 50 years before then. So now he's like a sort of walking ghost talking to you so when you do a quest and you see for instance one of the famous quests in the game is a a, a convict who escapes prison execution he's about to be executed for the sake of a hollow vid where he's going to get crucified and in that quest there's so many ways it can go differently but the entire time you're talking to Keanu and Keanu says what he respects about the man or what he dislikes about corporations and big business. And you're having that back and forth. And I think what that enables you to do is get into the mindset of your character through talking to somebody else on the outside and you sort of blend together. And the game is a lot about how much you're Johnny Silverhand and how much you affect him as well. And like that stuff all works. I think it's great. Keanu's performance is a little wooden, as always. But the thing is, I have always loved Keanu Reeves, Murph. I am a huge, diehard Keanu Reeves fan. Not, like, super diehard. John Wick is, like, okay. But, like... (laughs) <laughs> the the wooden acting is is just like a very specific style to appreciate mm-hmm. and it, it it works well here so because there's so many i never bought the cyberpunk hype you know i think i discussed yes. this when i was on the spore episode in that mm-hmm. like ever since spore i have never bought the hype of these like games that will change everything and it's like, yeah. I think there's been some gamer revisionism at just how hyped up Cyberpunk was. Being yeah. like, oh, this is going to be GTA 5 meets Fallout New Vegas meets... And it's like, <laughs> no, I think this is going to be like Ubisoft tier open world, guys. Like, you know... I think it's, it's better than Ubisoft tier open world, but that's just me personally. Okay, um, I, I, think... I haven't played it, admittedly. I... Uh, I think the thing is, is like, number one, I never go for hype. I get excited for things, but like, I never have expectations like things are going to change the world. You know what I mean? So in that sense, what I was interested in was I wanted to play an open world cyberpunk game. I like cyberpunk games in general, but most of them are very tailored and very like cinematic or story driven. So a lot of adventure games. 
mm-hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. Like we're talking Snatcher. There is the Blade Runner adventure game. There's like Valhalla. And you know what I mean? It's just all that stuff. And uh, yeah. I wanted something where I could live and breathe into a character. And it all works. So, so for me, yeah. thumbs up. So it feels like the world is realized because I think that's what, more what I was getting at is that people thought this was going to be some like ultra immersive experience. And then mm. when it came out, people were like, well, when you sh- shoot your gun off in public, people just hot, just cower and don't try to do anything. It's like, uh, well, why are you doing that? Why are you just randomly shooting your gun off with nothing? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's some player issue or player expectation issue. I mean, if the question is, is can you, like, it, how immersive is it? You know, can you walk into every building, every door? No, that is not, that is yeah. impossible. We can't do that. <laughs> that is not within the game thing. But I will say, if you play the game, there is no debate how much effort and budget and crunch and developer suffering was put into this. I would not ask them to put in more effort, is I guess the way to say that. Okay, yeah, that's um, fair. The game, the the game looks good. Um, I think I think fundamentally, I think the real issue of the game in terms of bit by bit playing is the cars aren't fun. Handling the cars, apparently it got fixed later on, so I'm playing a better version of it, but it's still very lacking. It's very empty feeling in terms of driving. Um, when you're walking on the sidewalk and exploring, there's a lot of good nooks and crannies and a lot of fun stuff like that. But no, like, and shooting is not anything to brag about either. They had to completely, completely rework the the stats. Like the stats I'm working with now in my game were completely oh. different than on launch. They they had to redo it after like two months. Because uh, they didn't, they didn't work. They weren't good. It just they were didn't bad. work. Yeah. So do do you, it feels like it's now like a worthwhile purchase that it's been revised. Like we are now in like Edge Runners has come out. We're now in our like <laughs> maybe maybe Cyberpunk wasn't that bad era. Yes. Well, sixty dollars on launch, you were gonna have a bad time, especially if you bought it on a PS4. They botched the launch. I'm not gonna forgive uh, publisher, you know, greed. But mm-hmm. that being said, I bought it for twenty bucks on a PS5. The game looked good. It felt good. No complaints. Oh yeah, no, I you know, Cyberpunk's still on my like wish list. I think once I'm in the need for like some sort open world experience i'll probably go running to it yeah maybe once that expansion's out or whatever that thing teased at the uh game awards is but you know murph we we were talking about like a highly anticipated game from an acclaimed developer right yeah and you played death loop I did. A game previously talked about before on the cast by Vaughn in the Link to the Past episode. I'm getting better about these plugs, Murph. Uh-huh. Um, but tell me how you feel about Deathloop. Okay, so I finally understand how Deathloop plays. And it's so different than I think like even like Vaughn was trying to communicate because it is a little hard to describe. It's effectively just like a roguelite with like a focused narrative element i'm good this is gonna be so okay so what it is you play as this guy named colt 
you are reliving the same day over and over. And you okay. figure out that you can stop this loop by killing these uh, eight visionaries. But you can't do it all in one loop. So you've got to figure out ways to kill them off uh, like in, like at the same time. Like, get them in the same location. There are four locations you can go to on the island. And each time you change locations, time advances. And there's, like, morning, uh, noon, afternoon, night. And then once night happens, time resets. You're back at square one. Like, doors you unlocked, puzzles you solved, people you killed. They're all back to, like, square one. But very early on you unlock a uh, a multi-life system where you can die twice and the loop doesn't reset. And then you also unlock this way to uh, permanently attach gear to yourself and keep it between loops. And you get this like resource called Residuum by uh, interacting with certain like glowing objects out in the field or by killing visionaries <laughs> multiple times. And so, that's, so basically you're telling me that there is an element of permanent progression. Yes. And you're basically building up this arsenal. Um, like one way to think of it is early on, like in the tutorial loop, it takes a while to actually get to square one of gameplay in this. I think it took me like three hours. Um, but in the, that tutorial loop, I found this puzzle where there was this sweet-looking weapon hidden behind this door that needed four batteries to open. So I went out in the field, I collected four batteries, brought it back to the door, went in. The weapon is like these cool shotgun pistols that can merge together to form like an automatic rifle. Um, the issue is, is this is before I unlocked the, uh, the residuum thing, so I couldn't keep that between loops. So I would need to go back and... Uh, do that puzzle again to get the weapon, and then I would need to see however much residuum I needed to keep it on me. So you're kind, of, so that loop could have been entirely dedicated just to getting and keeping those guns. That doesn't seem fun at certain points. What what's the it, fun part and what's the not fun part? So I think the fun part is what they really wanted this to feel like is like a big playground. And the areas are very visually interesting. There's, like... And they change over time as, like, the day progresses. So one of the areas... Uh, one of the visionaries is a game designer. And he sets up, basically, like, live-action role-playing Among Us in one of the areas. Where it's, like, this, like, big laser tag arena that's set up with, like, these Mars visuals. And you gotta go in there and figure out which one is him and kill him. Um... And that's really cool. The issue is when it comes to hunting down the visionaries, it becomes rapidly clear that there's like one way to do it. You know, it's not like Hitman where it's like mm. you can you can sort of come up with all these unique ways of doing it. In fact, like what earlier one of the carrot one of the visionaries like sets off this fireworks show each night. And you can sabotage his fireworks so they blow up in his face. And I did that, and I immediately got, like, a cutscene of the main character Colt being like, Aha! This is the way to kill him for sure. And then, like, my journal ticked off, like, You figured out the way to kill off this guy. And it's like, Oh. Okay. <laughs> you know? 
that just Dang. sort of took the wind out of my sails when the game just de facto says, you found the solution for this character, go find the solution for the other ones. And that's basically Damn. what you're gunning for, is you're trying to gain intel on where characters are going to be at certain times, setting them up for, like, to meet up in locations that you can kill them off, and eventually do, like, the perfect loot. How much of this game did you play? I've played a good 12 hours. Um, I've, how far, like, how far are you? I haven't gotten any legendary weapons, which I guess is the kind of measure. Um, I haven't even gotten all the powers because I haven't killed all the visionaries. The power, the, the visionaries are how you get powers. You kill them and then take their, their magic slab. And then that also mm. costs residuum to bind to you. So you keep that power and you can hunt them multiple times to get upgrades to that power. Mm, I see. And just, but if there's just, only one solution, why would you play them multiple times? Especially if it's just a puzzle and not like an engaging combat thing. Yeah, and the combat just isn't that engaging to me because the AI isn't that smart. Kind of by intent, kind of intentionally, there is an in-game reason that all the people on this island—they aren't combat people. They're like grad students that signed up for like the ultimate science experience slash never-ending party. Um, mm. So you're not like the shootouts aren't that great. Um, the gun selection is surprisingly limited. They're, the only, like, rifle in the game is a single-shot, like, rifle. Like, you fire it, reload it, fire it. And only, like, a super special one has a scope on it. So you're not doing any long-range encounters, which threw me off. It's a lot of, like, shotguns in close quarters. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's just, like, I don't know. I was kind of really into it, and then it just took the wind out of my sails, and I don't feel like going back at it and completing it, because it's one of those circumstances where, in those 12 hours, I feel like I have seen everything the game has to offer. Like, I'm not going to see any, like, interesting boss fights or anything, because by design, the game doesn't allow for that. The visionaries are just normal enemy types. They just have a bit more health or, like, a certain trick they can do. And yeah. I, it's just not that worthwhile as, like, a time loop game, as, like, a stealth game. All it really has is, like, that aesthetic, that sort of analog tech 1970s sort of funky aesthetic. Uh, and that's that's kind of disappointing to me. And it made me realize that I'm not really sure I've ever been, like, super gung-ho about any of Arcane's games. Like, I played Dishonored, and I liked it at the time, but I've never felt the urge to, like, go back to it, you know? Um, I can't speak, like, a lot about Arcane's thing. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people love it in terms of level design and ability. I will say Dishonored, it sounds like Dishonored has more gameplay options than Deathloop, then. I, I, like, yeah. That I seems say, very clear. I would say Dishonored definitely has more, like, it, it has more of that playground feel. Like, you can set up some real wacky shit in Dishonored that you can't yeah. hear. Um, and that's what's disappointing. And, and, like, the multiplayer aspect where you can get invaded by other players. Um, every one of those encounters I had was either I just, like, roll up on them when they don't notice I'm there and just shoot them a ton of times with a shotgun... Or they have all this legendary gear because they've just been playing the game. 
and like yeah. one shot me from across the map or there there's this really annoying power you can get where you can just pick someone up and throw them and i'm in one one of my runs i came across this person that just had that and they picked me up and threw me off the map three times uh that's that's the long and short of it i i i've already uninstalled it i don't feel myself going back um the game looked so cool at its official first like initial release and then they just had such difficulty explaining the gameplay loop no pun intended yeah. and i think that's because the gameplay loop in of itself is just kind of underwhelming that's fair no um i will one day play it and have my own take um might like it more than you might not may, may not care about it at all um i tried playing what one of the uh one of the canceled ones was Returnal. I I didn't hate Returnal. I just couldn't I couldn't put too many hours into it. I was just like I kind of understood the gameplay loop, and then I was like, oh, I'm kind of I'm kind of yeah. bouncing off. Yeah, and much like any sort of roguelike rogue like rogue light game, it's like whether or not there's enough of that incentive to get the player to go through those repetitious gameplay. When, mm -hmm. you know, after so much time, you feel like you've seen everything and you're just getting hit by like a certain skill block. Yeah. Yep. All right. Do you think it is time for the variety minute? We can we can get some variety in here. We've can, we can get varietical. This week's Variety Minute is GameCube-era Mario games. Now, Murph, you've told me off-air that GameCube is your favorite era of Mario. Elaborate. Uh, um, you know, it's kind of something in the design of this era of Mario just really tickles my fancy. And I think it's because this era of Mario, just kind of, much like the game of the week, it just kind of feels like the characters are on vacation. Like, a lot of these <laughs> titles are so removed from, like, the established Mushroom Kingdom stuff. And it just, it feels like a Mario theme park. It's like, oh, here's the, the Mario Sunshine Resort, and here's the Luigi Mansion, like, horror theme of the air, uh, like, the theme park. And here's Remember baseball. Remember when they made a Dance Dance Revolution game? Yeah. Um... <laughs> It really, like, here's an incredibly labored Murph comparison. What it really reminds me of is, like, mid-2000s breakfast cereal commercials. I and see that. Do you remember when, like, breakfast cereal commercials would have, like, story arcs that lasted years? Yes. Like, that's yes. what it reminds me of. It's that, like, Mario and the gang were like, we're going to go outside the Mushroom Kingdom. And then it's just like, all these games are, like, based on that single road trip. <laughs> gotcha. There, there's an arc there. There's a, you know, I think I think we'll, we'll talk about when we get to Sunshine itself. But there is a very specific identity when it comes to the GameCube and Mario on the GameCube especially. But even then, when you look at Metroid Prime or... Or Zelda Wind Waker, there were 
identities to those yeah. games. Those games strive to be something beyond a generic version of the title. It felt you know like a mean? lot of like Nintendo was trying to like reinvent itself with certain titles. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, especially you can see that a lot with like Star Fox Adventures, for instance, where it's yeah. like, we don't know what to do with Star Fox anymore. So we're going to slap on the rare Nintendo 64 adventure game they made, put Star Fox on it. Who cares? Let's just do <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, but back to Mario. What, what ones are you thinking of when you talk like this? Are you talking specifically about like the sports entries and I'm Mario thinking, Sunshine and like, Luigi's Mansion? Primarily Sunshine, Luigi's Mansion. Because that okay. dichotomy always, like, is always so amusing to me that, like, Mario's off in, like, the sun fun land. And then Mar Luigi's in this dark, creepy, thunderstorm-surrounded hotel. Not hotel, that's the third one. Uh, mansion. And then they both get, like, little gadgets that the game is, like, built around. Yeah, there's, just... there's continuity to talk about arcs. There is continuity between Luigi's Mansion and Mario Sunshine, too. So. Yeah, with, with Professor E. Gad. And it's like, I yeah. don't know, at the time of playing these games, would you have expected, like, oh, the next Mario game is going to include Flood. This is what Mario is now. Or would it really, truly feel like this is a one-off, you know? Um. Uh, all right, I have an answer to this, and I don't know necessarily how you feel about it. But I think that that was a tone of how Nintendo approached games. And sometimes still approaches games depending mm -hmm. on the ip but back in the day yeah i could see them making a one-off like there's like yoshi's cookie for the super nintendo or like wario's woods there's just random spin-offs where they felt like they could do whatever they could with the characters because like mario characters are meant to be placeholders for whatever game design functions nintendo has made so yeah. in this sense flood makes sense and I think when we talk about what's special about Mario Sunshine is I think this is probably the last time and the GameCube era generally, it's probably the last time that exists for Mario. Yeah. It's the last time everything wasn't so standardized feeling like I think, to, yes. I think to the Wii like Mario galaxy era of Mario games. And it's just so like, it's just so fuzzy to me. It's like, yeah, you have the aesthetic of like, some things are set in space now, like the very visual, like they have established what space looks like in Mario, but yeah. like nothing else seems to stick other than Rosalina, who is yeah. a good addition to the cast, but it's like, it just, it just doesn't feel the same. Like even, even like GameCube variations of characters like that were already established seem to like really come into their own here. Like this is where I feel like Waluigi and Daisy really became like more prominent as cast members of the side games, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that, like, oh, yeah. Because, like, Waluigi showed up in Mario Tennis for Wario's doubles partner. And it was a very nothing thing here. But uh, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Mario... I'm pretty sure it was Mario Tennis for... Uh, or maybe it was the baseball one. Is it the baseball one? Where there's extensive Wario and Waluigi cutscenes. The Mario where they are like Tennis, like, intro it, that goes yeah. on for, like, five minutes. That's great. Yes. And I just yes, don't where see... there's active Waluigi characterization. Yeah, and yes. I just don't see Nintendo doing something like that no. now, because. Um, and I would also say like Double Dash. Double Dash is a fantastic example of what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I, I mean. Yeah, Double Dash is also like akin, like the most 
theme park ride feeling Mario Kart to me. Like, I feel, I swear this is like a VR game at like Disney Quest I did with my sister years ago, where like one of you is on the back of a cart shooting at people and the other one's driving. And then, like, I'm just going to chuck this in here, too, because the GBA is also at this time. I was go- I was going to ask, because, like, here's my thing. I would disagree with the GameCube era if it was only GameCube. If we are including Game Boy Advance, I would consider this era to be the best Mario. Because mm-hmm. you get all those remakes, you get Superstar Saga, and, like, yep. again, it's just, like, back when things weren't so standardized you got like unique characters based off like mario enemies i can't remember when Mm -hmm. this was leaked i think it was like around the last paper mario the um the origami king on switch but there was this like nintendo internal memo that was leaked some time ago about how yes i remember that oh no longer doing like unique characters off of like that's yeah you can have goomba be playable in mario party and you can build a personality not for Mr. Goomba. Not Goombario. You can't have you can't, Goombario yeah, anymore. You can't have a unique Goomba or a unique Koopa anymore. And that's just that's, so, yeah. so weirdly limiting to me. And I will say, because we should say it out loud now that we've tiptoed around it. Paper Mario in the Thousand Year Door is like a beloved Mario RPG. And it's probably like for biggest claim to fame, in my opinion is the uh, party members. The party members having such identifiable personalities. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... I I, I can't conceive of it. And I don't necessarily hate New Era Paper Mario, but it just talks about the difference in approach for Nintendo now. Yeah, it just doesn't hit the same. You know? Yeah. Um, Wow, there were four Mario parties released on... The GameCube. That's crazy. I'm not going to lie. The Mario parties on the GameCube suck. Is that right? I guess I always kind of got that vibe. But yeah. I think it just still shows like how like ham they were going with the spinoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to Waluigi, Dance Dance Revolution, Mario Mix. Waluigi's the main villain of that game. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want to play it. <laughs> it doesn't look that good. But I mean, hey. No, but they it's did. Like, it it's exists. just like notable, you know. I, w- I, I would rather a Mario Dance Dance Revolution game exist than not exist. So yeah, here and we like are. Camelot was on fire this era. Like you know, we got this is where like Mario Tennis, Mario Golf, Mario Sluggers really came into their own. Um, Pavlos was a huge fan of uh, Mario sports games. So like, and like nowadays, he he like you could go back to the old old episodes. He'd lament like uh, new Mario tennis or new Mario golf. He'd be like these these features are there's a lot of features cut and there's a lot of features they add on, you know, after the fact. Whereas these like feel like fully realized titles and they feel like the best versions of these games. Yeah, it just, again, it's like that personality is missing. Like, I, I looked up a comparison between, like, um, Mario Golf, when you, like, hit the ball in the hole at, like, various intervals, like, what the character does. And, like, the biggest yeah. di- downgrade is, like, in the new Mario Golf, when Wario hits a bogey, he, like, slaps his knees and looks sad. And the GameCube one, uh, Toadstool Tour, a fucking boulder drops on him. <laughs> 
Um, I guess I guess the counter example would be that Mario Strikers, and I like Mario Strikers a lot. Um, mm-hmm. that I would love that on the Wii. Um, yeah, that feels like I a very specific version. kind of Mario. Yes. Yeah, because um, that is again just such a wildly different aesthetic. Uh huh. And uh, to talk, how do you feel about Super Smash Bros. Melee, Murph? I think it's nostalgic to me, but I think I I played more like Melee after Brawl had already come out. You know, Damn. and the only times I didn't was like at friends' houses or like at a McDonald's GameCube kiosk. Yeah. Um, I, I don't particularly like the aesthetic of Melee and I don't like how heavy everybody feels for a platform fighter. It's bizarre how heavy they feel, um, and how fast it is in that way. I think it's good competitively speaking, like in terms of a fighting game, that's what you want instead of the aerial aspects of, you know, later titles. But like, I like Super Smash Bros. after uh, GameCube, personally. Brawl is really good, in my opinion, and so is uh, Smash Ultimate. Yeah, and I just don't... I mean, Melee is where, like, Bowser and Peach were added to the cast, you know, as playable characters, and really defined what they are in that game, in that franchise. But, yeah, I don't know. It's like the, the Mario aspect of Smash feels more subdued as like... It's it's hard to articulate. Um, I I'm more of a, a brawl's my favorite. I'll just come out and say that. And then like, <laughs> Smash Ultimate is like mathematically, like the, the best. best one. Yeah. Like if you could be quote unquote with ten quotes objective, Smash Ultimate is the best. Yeah, yeah think, brawl's my favorite. Fair. If you dropped me on a desert island and said pick a Smash, I'd pick Ultimate. There you go. Um. Uh, any other GameCube era Mario games? There's got to be more than that. No, it's, right? it's pretty much... No, because you have Luigi's Mansion, which came out before Sunshine, uh, then Sunshine, and then it's all like the spinoff games and Thousand Year do, Door. Do you want to talk about Luigi's Mansion, or do you want to... Uh, you know, when I, I mentioned earlier about like McDonald's kiosks, that sort of unlocked something for me, that this was an yeah. era of Mario, because I didn't get a GameCube until like the Wii was already out. Like oh, you I, see, I'm I'm very I'm very different. Where I got the GameCube like day one. Yeah. Um. No, I was a PS2 household. Um. So I kind of came to a lot of these games like after the fact and like discovered them for myself. But the exception to that is like I would always play them in like like the Best Buy like game demo area or at a like a McDonald's or something. And that seems to me like so integral to like the the flavor as well because again it goes back to that like that like theme park like vacation feel to the whole experience. So so you're so you're really leaning on like the the temporary, the transient, the liminal, yeah. the the sort of this... like, te- you know, <laughs> Game the Cube passing Mario, state of mind. GameCube era Mario is liminal. I'm glad we agree on this. <laughs> Oh my god. Alright, I think uh I think it's time to move on to the game of the week, right? Yeah, yeah, let's let's go go vacation.
This week's game of the week is Super Mario Sunshine, a game released in 2002 for the Nintendo GameCube. The first directing role for Yoshiaki Koizumi, and the first Nintendo first party game during Iwata's reign as president. Um, interesting from Wikipedia, Yamauchi's last request as president before resigning was to get a Mario game on the GameCube. Um, <laughs> and that was kind of a, a complicated thing. There was like Mario 128 tech demos, which I think eventually flooded into Pikmin. But um, yeah. anyways, after a long series of adventures, Mario and Peach and Toadsworth and other Toads of the Mushroom Kingdom decide to kick up their feet and relax and take a vacation to Isle Delfino, a resort island shaped like a dolphin. It turns out someone has been illegally vandalizing the entire island with graffiti, tainting the sacred shine sprites, the the stars of this game. Um, and that bit that that culprit is Mario. Oh my gosh! Um, so they have now caught him red-handed, and they have now charged him with community service. Um, he must clean the entire island and restore the shine sprites. Yada yada yada. Um, with his handy dandy flood device and maybe just maybe clear his name. Um, the gameplay is fundamentally similar to Mario 64, but features the flood device for many different gameplay instances. It squirts water. Um, we'll talk about how flood functions in the discussion. So Murph, what did you think of Mario sunshine? Um, Mario sunshine is my favorite 3d Mario. And I can't okay. really defend that point because uh, I don't think it is a – I think it is a good game, not a great game, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think it has a lot of glaring flaws with certain parts of its uh, – with certain objectives uh, that have become, you know, infamous in the gamer space. There's but, spikes in difficulty, and we'll yeah. talk about difficulty later. But it is the only 3D Mario I have 100% completed. Okay. All right. Um, I disagree. But I don't completely disagree. My take on Mario Sunshine, and I said one part to you, and I think later on um, I developed another take. There's two things that are really special in capital letters about Mario Sunshine for me. Number one is that art design. The art design and the tone of the game being completely tropical I think perhaps you could argue that there's not a lot of variety because of that. There's no snow level, for instance. But I think instead, because of that, there's a more guided, direct approach for an aesthetic. And it's so appreciated. And it's, as we said in the Variety Minute, there's there's an art design to it. Like, Goombas in this game look completely different than to any other game. And so do Boos, and so do Koopas. And it's just... It's just one of those things that they'll never do again. And it's just a breath of fresh air. This game feels like a vacation at yeah. points. Um, especially with like the graffiti art or the goofy, the goofy side missions and all that. Um, the other thing I was going to highlight immediately, so I don't forget, is the location and setting specifically. Now it could have just been a tropical Mario game 
themed, but what I think makes it special is the setting is the most defined and grounded of any Mario game, period. You mm-hmm. can see all you can see locations from other parts of the map, so there's a specific geography to it. And even within the levels themselves, there is a natural geography that is that feels um, like, for instance, my favorite level of the game, like in terms of area, is Rico Harbor. Rico Harbor has a lot of girders and all that stuff. It feels like a traditional Mario game, but it is in like a living, breathing environment. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't even necessarily feel like the case in Mario Odyssey. Um, so in this, I think Mario Sunshine is special. We'll talk yeah. about the problems when we get to it. It just feels like it's weird to say that a Mario game is immersive. But, like, I don't know. Every time I I boot this game up, I just feel like I am there. I am in Isle Dufino. I am soaking up the suns. It's just, like, it's so hard for me to play this game and be mad at it. I just always have, like, a smile on my face. The music's so peppy and laid back. Like the music is like a huge factor for this immersion, in my opinion, where, where there's, I don't necessarily know if everything's a banger, but there's not one dud. You know what I mean? Um, no, I think the only one that's like a little, uh, too like relaxed for its own good is like that. I don't even know what the track name is, but it's reused a lot. The track that plays when you're on the sandbird. Yes, uh, where it's yeah, like the fair. sort of like steel drum thing. Uh, that one I've yeah. always felt like they kind of used it in the wrong levels. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, but like, sound design is super important, and it feels good. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so. just like you know, it's one of those games. Like going back to Jack and Dexter from last episode. Well, not last it's episode before. You know what I'm talking last about? Last season. Just saying. last season. <laughs> It's, that it's just one of those games where I'll, like, boot it up and just kind of run around and hop off things, and I'll spray water and do a spin jump. And I'm like, that was good gameplay. I'm ready to put this down now. <laughs> Even though I didn't, like... It's a toy! Do, I didn't do any, like, objectives or anything. Like, it's just fun to hop around and spray water. And you know what? Like, the water still looks good. You know? Yeah. It's still... I'm, I'm a connoisseur of video game water, and I think Mario games always get water right. I think that's completely fair. I don't necessarily think they get swimming right, but there's not no. a lot of swimming in this game. There's there no. are some swimming segments that suck, but there's not a lot for there's for surfing. a game that is tropical. It is not a lot of swimming, and yeah, there's mostly no. surfing, which is good. Like surfing on the bloopers, I love the bloopers. Yeah, or in this once game. you get like the turbo nozzle and you're running on water. Yeah, like, I don't just... necessarily think the nozzles. Uh, we'll talk. We should talk about the missions when we get to them. But like, the nozzles themselves, like flying on the thing, like woo! It's yeah, so good. yeah. The turbo jump. Um, like I, it's like it all just boils down for me. It all just boils down to I have. I always have a good time playing this. Like even on some of the more like infamously like hard or bullshit levels, I just can't remember a time I was ever like mad. I, you know, like the Chuckster level. I was always yeah. just when I fail that I'm like whoops oh I gotta do it again. You okay, know? I'm not gonna lie, that was gonna be one, my my biggest complaint in terms of uh, things is specific missions, but more so 
Yeah, it's like when they chuck you. Dude, when the Piantas, like, throw you, there is no determining their trajectory. And then yeah. it's like, this is the level dedicated to knowing their trajectory. And I'm like, what? Yeah. What the fuck is this? I think it's not so much, like, that, the Sandbird level, the lily pad level. Like, all these ones are infamously hard, and I think they would be, like, so much, like, less infamous if you didn't have to in a lot of circumstances, do a lot of, like, platforming just to get to that sequence, you know? Yes, there's a there's a lot of side ones. I'm pretty sure it's the lily pad one or maybe it's the pachinko one where you have to get a Yoshi, get on the boat. This is in Delfino Plaza. Get on a yeah. boat and then ride it. That boat slowly rides to the other side of the island to um, eat a fruit in a pipe and then go down the pipe and then you've got a bonus level and... If you lose that bonus level, you have to do that entire part again. You don't just restart the level. Yeah, that's sort of like, there's not a lot of good quality of life within the objectives themselves, which I think is a huge issue. Um, like, Pianto Park has, uh, sorry, Pina Park has a another Yoshi one where you have to, like, get a Yoshi egg, then get the fruit it needs, then bring it to the carousel, and that will take you into a floodless level. And if you fail that, you are kicked all the way back to yeah. Delfino Plaza. You're not even kicked back to Pina Park. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll say one more thing, and then we should talk about flood before we talk about anything else then. But um, I'll say that I think generally... In terms of setting, what's nice about it is other than Pianta Village, that final area before the volcano, mm -hmm. um, there isn't really hard fail states in the general area. There aren't huge bottomless pits. Yeah. Um, there aren't huge insta-death things. Most of the time, if you, if you fuck up a fall, and obviously Flood is there to make sure you don't fuck up most of the time... Um, if you fuck up a fall, it just sets you back time to climb. You know what I yeah. mean? So that that never feels bad. It just yeah, feels like okay. Which I let's can't just say do it again. like Mario sixty four DS is the 3D Mario I have probably spent the most time in. But mm -hmm. something about the Mario sixty four levels have never really been like aesthetically pleasing to me. Like even okay. on like the slightly more up res DS one. It's just, like, I don't know. It's a lot of, like, ugly-looking polygonal spaces to me. And then you, like, go to sunshine, and it's literally, like, a beam of sunshine. These environments look so nice, and they're just fun to hop around in. And they always feel, yeah. like, lived-in spaces. And part of what helps that is the flood mechanics. All right, so let's talk flood. Um, how do you feel about flood? Mario. Uh, flood is, um, you know, it's always great when game designers give you something that they know breaks the fundamental, like, focus of the game. Because yeah. I've seen like, a lot of people it... that get mad that Flood has, like, a hover mode. And it's like, how can a 3D platformer make jumping, like, so simple? And it's like, because it's, it's funner this way. <laughs> I don't know how else yeah, to I mean... say it. To, to go back to the crash thing, right? That's that's sort of where I was getting at is I think this game tries to compensate for the 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 hard the difficulty and precision for 3D jumping. And yeah. I personally don't love the hover thing. Like I think it doesn't I think it's okay. 
I think it's fun for this game. I would not want every Mario game to have a flood. Let's just say that. No, no, definitely not. Like if if Nintendo was ever like we're going to be we're, floods coming back, but it's not a Mario Sunshine sequel. I would I would tilt my head a little, you know. I would be like yeah. where what what's the what's the idea here? And they'd probably do it like in a very similar way to like how Galaxy had its power-ups where like the level would be purely built around the flood. Yeah, I could see like Mario Odyssey having a flood level in New Donk City where there's graffiti everywhere. Right, that would make sense. And I think that would be completely organic and that would be smart. But like I and that goes into things beyond the hover nozzle, right? The hover nozzle is just one aspect of it. There's also the aiming that utilizes 3D space to sort of, you know, shoot where you want to shoot. Yeah, and it's the, uh, Mario the shooting triggers. without a gun. Exactly. And and yes, there's and it actually utilizes the GameCube's trigger system where you can lightly press the trigger or you can click in the trigger. And when you click in the trigger, there's a different mode of fire. And, and that tell, really works. Like, have you played this on the Switch, the 3D All-Stars version? I have not. It just it's just not the same, like in any way. Like this game is so made for the GameCube controller that like playing it on the switch it just feels it just feels gross in kind of the same way that playing like mario galaxy on the switch feels weird like it just doesn't line up this isn't how i play this game and i think that makes sense that's that speaks a lot to go ahead i like cleaning up paint i like shooting water and cleaning up paint like this like this in luigi's mansion it was very clear nintendo wanted to show off like the technical power of the GameCube. Because you're messing... In Luigi's Mansion, you're messing with, like, a lot of dust particle physics and such, and lighting. In this, it's, like, water physics, and then you, um... And, like, a little bit of the cell shading with the graffiti. Like, Uh I don't know what it is, but it's got, like, that thing to it. Yeah, Yeah, how, like, the water cleans... How you can, like, spray, like, individual spots of the graffiti or the slime that's everywhere on Gelato Beach... It has those big ass mirrors that reflect everything. Ooh, yeah, that's like crazy. I, I don't know something about games that are very clearly like tech demos. I, I don't know. I enjoy them because they're always so much more visually interesting. That's fair. That's fair. I, I think in the context of I like to visit this game as a tech demo, as an experience, and not as a guided mission setup. I could see it being a favorite. Um, yeah. Uh, and to criticize the game more, I think um, I think a lot of the missions are like kind of fundamentally suck, depending on the mission, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of them try- that try to avoid the flood. Number one, I guess the other thing I want to say about the flood that I love before we get off the topic is I like being able to run, lightly shoot the flood and then dive. And then you're yeah. like belly sliding and you're like, ooh, and then you like flip. That's so fun. That's so mm-hmm. cute. Yeah. Um, but that being said, um, a lot of the side, a, a lot of the missions. So, for instance, to beat the game, you have to, you have to beat the the Shadow Mario stage in every level or in every area. That does not mean get X amount of shines. I think you have to get X amount of shines to unlock the areas within, but that's not hard yeah. to do. And then um, you have to beat the Shadow Mario, and then that yes. will progress the story. 
so so in this sense there's a lot of useless shines like the shines we were just talking about where you have to get on yoshi for delfino plaza you don't need to get that shine at all there that if you get that shine it's a waste of time unless you get a hundred percent um and i think that percent you get cool shades that make the screen darker look you're telling me man I, (laughs) i love the shades and i love the shirt um, and I like blue coins. I think blue coins are really, really cool. Um, the, that sort of currency is way better than the 100 coins and red coins of Mario 64. But mm-hmm. they don't I, matter I unless, oh. you know, unless you're going for 100%. Yeah, I, I always did kind of like collecting 100 coins in 64. But I do like discovering the blue coins here because kind of like breaking from what Mario 64 did where you can tackle like any star in any order you want and there are only a few that like really set up a specific like scenario within the level in this one it's always a different scenario but like finding the blue coins is always like a side challenge within that yeah um and I guess what I was going to say earlier was was a lot of the missions don't necessarily feel like flood. I think there's a lot of times where they do, and when they do, it feels awesome. Like, for instance, I think a good example is the hotel area. The hotel area I love in terms of a setting. It's a spooky, ghost-haunted uh, hotel, but because it's tropical, it's a hotel, and it feels like a very, like, um, you know... <laughs> Hotel California vibe. It's uh-huh. sunset. And I love that level where you're spraying the manta and then the manta splits. Yeah, that's one of my that's, favorites. The ghost. That manta. is a fantastic use of the hover nozzle. Yeah. And it feels great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Actually, I think Sirena Beach is like my favorite level because there's so much variety between its missions that, yeah, you don't really see in the other ones. Like there's the Manta and then there's the part where you go in the hotel and it's sort of like a like an adventure game scenario where you're trying to find. Yes, like, and I dislike right that for the most part. Yeah, I'm yeah. not crazy about it. And you go up through that guy's uh, toilet. Yeah, because platforming in the hotel is not good because it's cramped. It's a very cramped hotel. So um, you're basically having to, like, jump in between things. And then at best, like, yeah, like, you're going through rooms and going through walls or vents, like, die hard to fucking have fun there. Um, I like King Boo there in the casino. But, like, eh, you know. Um, The thing I don't like about Sirena Beach is the fucking watermelon level. I hate the I hate the watermelon level more than I hate the sand bird. Uh the watermelon's Gelato Beach. Oh my dude uh, Serena Beach is the hotel. Gelato Beach sucks. My bad. Um I, I maintain that though. Um I like Pantissimo, the runner that you have to beat in this game. Yeah, he he's calls super you a fun. Pokey, he calls you a pokey little flab biscuit if you lose to him. <laughs> um he's great thumbs up love him but i love how everyone's just kind of an asshole to mario all the all the natives just hate his guts i mean with like justifiable reason but even after it's proven that you're not the one doing it everyone's still kind of an asshole yeah no it's wild do you want to talk about the story because i think this is something that's like unique to the gamecube mario 2 where it's like suddenly there's voice acting for everything 
except for Mario. Um, yeah, himself. you yeah, you can see that difference in like Odyssey. Odyssey, I believe, like completely drops voice. I don't remember it. It's been years, but uh, Galaxy um, doesn't have voice acting. Galaxy for sure doesn't have voice acting. They just mutter. They go row 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 row. Yeah. yeah, I love it here. I think I think here is a very Saturday morning cartoon vibe. Um, mm-hmm. so it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to talk about Bowser Jr.? Is that what you're talking about? No, no. It's just like uh, you know, it's like weird that everyone harp like when when the new Pokemon was revealed, and everyone's like, why doesn't this? Why are we still doing text boxes? You know, for Pokemon, like why why is Nintendo so apprehensive towards voice acting in their games? And I think that like, I I don't know. I feel like they've learned some sort of wrong lesson with Sunshine, because Sunshine's story I don't think was like well received. Everyone found it a little strange to have like the Toads talking and Peach like sort of just I don't the Princess Peach voice actress. No offense to her. She just makes Peach sound a little brain dead, you know? Mario? Yeah. You're Bowser's son? I'm like, your yeah, mama? It's... Like, I'm your mama? Um, yeah. Okay, I... uh, two things I'll say here. I, I want to cite that I think it's a difference between IPs. So, for instance, Breath of the Wild is a complete counterexample where mm-hmm. it was all text boxes until they decided to up the production value because there's not a lot of story in Breath of the Wild compared to the other games. Less cutscenes in general, less dialogue, period. So it's like, let's let's go for the gold and add voice acting. They just mm-hmm. didn't make Link talk. Everyone else talks. Um, yeah. Here, I think Mario would benefit from voice acting. And Charles Martinet does a good job. Mario doesn't talk a lot. And, you know, it's it's goofy enough to work. And there's not a lot of cutscenes, but they work. I like it when, at the very end of the game, when Bowser's like, Son, I gotta tell you the truth. And he's uh-huh. like, I know Peach isn't my mama. And he's like, what? <laughs> well, let's get Mario some other time. And it just it feels is, good. It is a little weird to hear Bowser talk in this game. I will say that. Because I I don't know. The, it's not quite Jack Black quality yet, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, we gotta wait for the Jack Black. That's that's exactly. I, I what do the like Bowser Junior's like odd like New England accent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's weird. Uh, um, uh, I like Bowser Junior. I don't think he's a problem. I think the only issue with Bowser Junior was he took a lot of the Koopaling limelight for his initial duration, but now they've sort of settled into like. The Koopalings exist, but Bowser Jr.'s like the head. You know yeah. what I mean? Bowser Jr.'s the only one that's actually Bowser's son, is how yes. they said it. Um, and, and Brogan, don't you think it's weird that when Bowser Jr. says Peach is his mama, she doesn't outright deny it? I don't know what to tell you, Murph. <laughs> uh, all I got is my sunglasses and my, and my margarita on the beach. That's how I operate in this game. <laughs> Uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you another one. I don't know if we're winding down yet, but what do you think of the secret stages without flood? Because this the, is the like whopping skit scatting. Yes, uh, because it's notable that for a lot of people, this is like a heavy discourse regarding flood. Because without flood, you can dissect it, and they're much more bite-sized. Uh, obstacle courses like traditional Mario. So a lot of people say that this is like a predecessor to Galaxy and they're yeah. quote unquote the good stages. I actually disagree with that. 
But what's I your think, feelings on it? I think the platforming, like floodless platforming, only stands out because it's that bite-sized experience. I think if the full game was built around that, uh, I think some flaws would start to be apparent. Like there's that um, there's a fan mod called Mario Eclipse. And... I played that. Oh, you have okay. And in that, don't they make flood like a power up? I th I think so. Well, I I take it back because there's multiple Mario ones, and I don't think Eclipse is like fully out yet. I played a demo of it, and they have like alternative power ups and alternative levels. That's yeah. what I played. I was just so I don't the, necessarily. I was just looking at yeah. the trailer earlier today, and it was a lot of Mario without the flood, and then like some bonus characters who also don't have the flood. Like they were making yeah, the that's game a... purely around the platforming. Which to me is just I like, think that's a, that's a problem, yeah. Yeah, to me that's just Mar not what Mario Sunshine is about. Like, you've removed a core part of its identity. You know, it's like... The, <laughs> the defining feature to me is that it is so different from the other Marios. Yeah, know? and Mario's, Mario's moveset in this game isn't meant for an entire game of what those secret levels are. Um... The secret levels have good, cute gimmicks to them, and they're especially nice in terms of, like, 3D Mario at the time. But now we have that. We have obstacle course 3D Mario games. That's no longer special. So I think in the context of the game, I think Flood, it just stands out and tells you how important Flood is to the experience. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, the game ends when Flood sacrifices themselves to destroy Bowser's hot tub. That's a great boss fight. That is a fantastic boss fight. You actually fight. like that one. I do. I'm I've, Okay. We've I've never, never talked actually, about Go ahead. Mount Corona, I don't mind. I'm one of the few people that don't hate the Mount Corona level. The actual boss fight with Bowser, I think, is something of a clusterfuck. Clusterfuck, I agree. Here's my thing, and I am now burying it all for for episode one of this new season. My take on bosses is I need the bosses to, number one, have a personality and identity. And number two, have a way to engage with them. I think, for instance, Mario 64's Bowser bosses suck. It, it, it's good once mm. to throw the tail. And it's nice that you can throw the tail and the area changes in the last boss battle of that game. But yeah. it's not, like, super engaging. Whereas in this game, I like the blooper. I like PD Piranha. Um, I like I like Bowser, and I like doing the gimmick. The gimmick is fun. Yeah. And it's one of the few times you get that rocket launch uh, nozzle. And it and it's fun. It's good. Thumbs up. Yeah. No, I... Um, I... I, I, I won't disagree that this game does have, like, it's, like, gimmicks on gimmicks for a lot of different stages. And I think that's just so important to its flavor. Like, again, this isn't, I don't think this is the best 3D Mario. I would probably, like, concede that it's, like, Odyssey or I'll, I'll concede that it's, like, 64, whatever. But this is the one that always just, like, if you want to plunk me down and, like, say, play a, play a Mario that will make you happy, I'll play this. Well, I guess that goes into because we talked about it before in your in our private chats together. What you want in a Mario game? So when you say those yeah. like sixty four or Odyssey, I don't agree. I like uh, for me the galaxies were the best. I liked Mario three D World now more in memory, especially like Bowser's mm -hmm. Fury. 
But like that being said, the galaxies were my dream and they are fundamentally different games than what you cited. So what do you want in a Mario 3D game? I think I just want that that playground feel. Like I think Bob-omb Battlefield is like one of the best opening levels in any video game. Um and then like once Mario 64 becomes like you get to the later half and you're on like Rainbow Ride and it becomes so much more focused on like rather than these big open levels you can run around and explore uh, it's just like about obstacle courses that's yeah. where it like starts to lose me and i think like it, the back half of any 3D Mario i think is where any of them start to lose me like it's super fun right at the start because it front loads you with a lot of like energetic levels and very visually like memorable areas and then like the back half it feels like they kind of start running out of steam um i will say in positive to both galaxies and uh mario sunshine is that's where i think gimmicks have their strength i think the issue with gimmicks is the uh uncalculated difficulty spikes but that being yeah. said the game stays fresh so like for me i 100%ed the galaxies because even by the end game i was experiencing new things every time and that yeah. was where it felt rewarding and you you get that in sunshine um, the issue is it's much more up and down in terms of what you're in for. Yeah, I think, okay, here, here I found the perfect analogy. When I play okay. a Tony Hawk pro skater, I am not, like, chasing scores. I'm not trying to figure out how to pull off the tricks. I just like riding around in these levels, like grinding on things, finding the collectibles. That's where my enjoyment for those games, like, begins and ends. If you tell me, like pull off like this combo string i'm not gonna know what to do i play i i play tony hawk pro skater with my thumb on the analog stick not the d-pad gotcha and that's, right. no, that's and that's fair. how mario 3d mario feels to me like i will never contest that the galaxy games are not like some of the best like put together platforming games but that's just not what i come to a 3d mario for fair enough are there like what else? Do you want to wind down, or is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, I'm just looking at my notes here. It's just some, like, little one-off goofs. I have always felt the Rico Harbor theme is about to go into, like, this land is your land. That's fair. I could see that. Have you ever heard that? It's, like, so close. It gets so close to, like, a sound-alike. <laughs> um, I've always liked the eel boss with the dirty mouth and his four eyes. I, I, I don't like it. That's one of those. I don't, I don't like Noki Noki Bay. <laughs> it's I funny that Noki I keep Noki saying Bay. I don't like areas. I think I like, Noki I like Bay Rico like Harbor, Bianco Hill. What? I do Sorry. think Noki Noki Bay is like the worst area. Oh man. I think Pianta Village is pretty bad. The issue with Pianta Village is it's like the, the whole area is a difficulty spike. It is the area yeah. where you are meant to die a lot. But you got and the chain chomps. They're like little. They're That's, like little dogs. They're like little, like force-bred chain chomps. I I don't think that's good enough, man. Anyways, <laughs> I like I like Pinna Park. Maybe not even for the missions. Maybe I just like Pinna Park as a location. I like Rico yeah. Harbor for missions and location, which is why I love it. Um, the hotel is okay, depending on the thing. I think I think 
the hotel itself is too claustrophobic for maneuverability. Um, and then like Bianco Hills is fun. The, 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 the first level of the game, like those first levels with the windmills, those are all fun. PD Piranha is an excellent first boss. Like yeah. that stuff's just great. It's, it's just good. Mm-hmm. No, you I can think play around just... with wires and you can like swing on the wires and you can yeah, like that first, do the like, twirl. Like it's so telling that like how this game is built around fun that like Bianco Hills, your first level introduces you with this big slope. You can just immediately slide down into, and then you've got yep. wires you're hopping around on. It's like just a, f- again, it's that playground feel to me. That's just like, like, yeah, I said at the top, I find the game fun and that's enough for me. <laughs> I mean that's good enough, dog. Uh, we, you know. Do you know what's <laughs> also fun? What? Plugging your friends. Is it anything like uh, alien probes, or is this a different type of thing? We're not. We're not probing. We're plugging. Okay. So, All right. Go ahead and plug away. A probe you take out. A plug stays there. <laughs> um. Probes are liminal. <laughs> okay. So, we've got some other shows on the Twin Geeks uh, network, and uh, so we've got Critical Consideration, where our friends Vaughn and Calvin, they're members of the Seattle Critics Society, their uh, Seattle Critics Society is gearing up for their, like, equivalent to, like, the Oscars, Golden Globes, what have you, so uh, he and Vaughn and Calvin are going over the list of nominees and talking about like what they, their thoughts on what they're voting for, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Calvin and Steven just had like for the first time in a long time, ranking the monsters back with like Godzilla versus Hedora, which is like one of the best weird Godzilla movies from the seventies. There's a strange fish dance. It's great. Still what about there? your podcast, Murph? I'm still here. What about your podcast, Murph? Oh, okay. Everything just froze up on me. Don't leave that in. Um, on my podcast, this podcast is a bad idea. Um, by the time this goes up, um, our January episode will be up. It is a a slightly requested episode. It is me explaining the plot of Kingdom Hearts. Oh my god. You're shitting me. That's oh. what it is. The fans demanded it. Mostly my co-host. Who demanded this? Mostly my co-host, Fru, because she sent me, like, some Kingdom Hearts TikTok and was like, explain this to me. And I'm like, I, we're going to need to set aside, like, 90 minutes tops. (laughs) That's terrible. Terrible, terrible stuff. Um, Kingdom Hearts 2 is the best one. Anyways, continue plugging. I don't, I don't disagree with that. Like, I don't know why you said that, like, that was a hot take. (laughs) Um, let's see, let's see, uh, you and I and Calvin are working on a new project. Do we want to, to tease and plug that here? It's video game adjacent. I don't like movies, but I like video games. So we met in the middle. Yeah, we're going to be doing uh, a series of double features on video game movies. With the first episode being the original 1995 Mortal Kombat and the 2003 adaptation of silent hill i like how you said 2003 there but yes is it 2003 that's why i said it like that is it no i have, have no knowing. idea i don't remember absolutely no way, no of, way knowing. of knowing in this modern age 
And then, um, also... I know it. You, you want to know something weird? I know it came out April 21st. I don't know what year. I know it came out April 21st. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. You've got that tattooed on your arm. Silent Hill came out April 21st, but the rest is smudged. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure, like, there was, like, somebody's birthday. And it was, like, we watched Silent Hill. On <laughs> you went birthday. to see Silent Hill? Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. And you know what? We're also going to have a bonus episode of the Daydream cast. Uh, because you and I played one of them big games from the last year. And we have many thoughts. And we're going to set aside some time just to do a little bonus episode on it. And that game is God of War Ragnarok. God damn. I'm ready. You're let's ready? do it. You're ready, boy? Let's let's sail away to the high seas. What's the Wait, well, what's the actual next game of the week? The actual next game. Well, you know what? It's funny you mentioned sailing away. Uh, come sail away with me to the land of the Emerald Isles, where we will be playing King's Quest VI, Air Today, Gone Tomorrow, which is also a go. vacation game, now that I think about it. <laughs> I think there's some running themes in this season, but i uh, see you all later, man. And we're playing out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, do you want to have, like, dialogue over the music playing out, like, every time, or... It's, it's over now. It's, it's over? It's, okay, it's the, already yeah. You, well, literally, I... No, well, no, I try to, like, time it to where you say something where it's, like, clearly, like... <laughs> like, I should cut it two seconds before you say it.